Good morning, good morning, good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. Grab a seat. Woo! Come on. Come on. Amen, amen, amen. Boy, I hope it takes me forever to get a sermon started every time we do a turn and greet beforehand. That's a really good sign, church. A lot of people meeting each other, catching up. So fun. My name's Glenn. serve as one of the pastors here. Really excited that you're here this morning. If you're new with us or you're visiting, a warm welcome to you. Welcome to City Light Bennington. Uh, we're spending our Sunday mornings working our way through the book of Genesis. It's the first book of your Bible. So if you brought a Bible or a device, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis 18. You know, at this point in the book of Genesis, we are, uh, we're working our way through God's dealings with Abraham, such a prominent figure in scripture and in, in history. And beginning in Genesis 12, okay, so we're in 18, six chapters before this, Genesis 12, God had given a promise to Abraham, he said, I'm going to give you land, I'm going to give you offspring, said, your offspring are going to be innumerable. Uh, through your family, Abraham, I will end up blessing all the families of the earth. And uh, this was really a covenant, a promise that God made to Abraham that for the rest of your Bible and the rest of history is going to continue. Uh, it culminated in the first coming of Jesus, his cross, his resurrection. It's going to continue at the second coming of Jesus. Uh, we live in the in-between right now. But here's some, here's some drama along the way in the story. Kind of the, the big thing that we're going to hone in on this morning is that in order for uh, God to fulfill this promise to Abraham and his wife Sarah, he, he promises her, you are going to have a son. And Sarah is barren and infertile. She's far beyond childbearing years. And God says, you're going to become pregnant and deliver a son. So we're in the middle of that. And uh, by way of introduction, I want to take you with me back to Christmas, just this last year. We have all of our family, Kate's family is um, almost all of them in Bennington. And so we have this huge Christmas. Um, all the, the grandkids are there and everybody's having a blast. Uh, we, we're opening presents, we're laughing, the kids are just hysterical. You know, it's, it's crazy. Well, so we think we're done, okay? Like, okay, we, we're done opening the presents, you know, Merry Christmas. Well, then Kate's mom and her sister are like, hold on a second, hold on. All right, we, we have one more present for all the couples in the room. And so I'm, I've been to some family Christmases before. What am I thinking in the moment? I'm thinking uh, we're gonna get like a, um, you know, whatever it is, uh, what's it called, mahogany or, or a, a Flanagan's, you know? like a, a gift card to some steak place. And if it's not that, maybe it's like a new, you know, like a Husker sweater or something. Like, it, you know, here's what happened. We're all opening these boxes, you know, they're probably yay big. And everyone's taking the present out and nobody can tell what it is. We're unwrapping it and it, it, it's, it's called a loom box. Yeah, my response too. This is, a, this is a plastic brick that has like eight red light bulbs in it. 
and it's for red light therapy. It's got next to it, you know, in the really nice bougie, like, you know, orange zip-up padded thing that you open up that has all the attachments and stuff. It's got the black, like, little goggles that you would wear in, like, a tanning bed. So I, a grown man, am, am opening this going, is this for Kate? Is this for both of us? My thoughts, I have to be honest, and by the way, great gift. We can deal with that later. I, I, I'm so cynical. I am thinking in my mind, which Instagram influencer <laughs> convinced you to spend way too much money on a heat lamp that was at Applebee's and now is being used to, you know, change the cellular level in your body and like heal your muscles and, you know, repair your skin and all this kind of stuff. I'm skeptical, confession, that's just who I am. I probably didn't have a smile on my face. I probably had an eyebrow up and was looking across the room. I'm just that guy, I mean, Scrooge, okay? That's how I was in the moment. And I, I think more than ever, we live in an age of skepticism, especially when we see stuff like that. Especially when someone who works for Young Living comes to you and says, you need to subscribe to the essential oils. It'll change your life, right? <laughs> hey, it might. It might not. I'm just, okay, I'm just, can anybody, are we allowed to say that? So, there's so many ads and so much um, false promising that's going on out there, right? I mean, we see a million things that are just going to give the solution to everything that we have problems with. And I want to be clear, there is a good part of, like, discernment and testing and weighing and evaluating things, but... I say this with all sincerity. The most damning thing that we can do is to direct our cynicism at God himself. Um, generally speaking, I want to give you some examples. There are two different reactions that people in this room will have. And it might not be like polar, but there's a spectrum and you will either lean this way or this way. Let me give you some examples. Easter was last week. Roy just got up here and said that 15 people looked at him during the sermon and gave their life to Jesus. You have one of two responses to that. Hallelujah. God, you're doing an amazing work among us. There's new life and new birth in our church. There's salvation here. Or how many of those are real? What's the church doing now to follow up with them? Were any of those like sincere? Was it just kind of a rededication? You know, was there like sincere saving faith in the room? Two different approaches. Hey, someone amongst us, here's another example, was healed. God, only you are God over the physical. You are the great physician. You can bring healing to someone's body. You can sustain a person for as long as you see fit. Praise you. You're so good and gracious and generous. Or did they kind of make it up? Was there like a pain in their back that was like bothering them a little bit? And, you know, now they're healed because they took some ibuprofen and it's not there anymore, right? Do you understand the skepticism I'm, I'm talking about? Um, let me give you another one. Our, our marriage was restored by Jesus. God healed our marriage. Um, we were in a bad place and we're not anymore. There's two responses to that. Only Jesus can fundamentally change people's hearts and, and bring them united once again and bring 
real, true forgiveness. Only Jesus can breathe life and resurrect something that was as good as dead. Or how long until things go south again? They're in a good place now, but will that last forever? Look at the divorce rates. I can go on. We think about like even prophetic words or, or words of, of wisdom. Um, you know, God has been giving me dreams and visions and you keep coming up and I keep hearing the same thing and I, I want to just tell you something that I feel like is from God. I'm not your interpreter, but this is just what I want to deliver to you. And it can either be, wow, this person loves me, has been praying for me, thinking about me, and if God's got something to say to me through them, I want to listen. I'm all ears. Or, I've got this. I don't really need what anyone has to say to me. Um, that's probably more that person had a strange dream and uh, they're a little bit more charismatic than I am. Do you see where I'm going with this? I mean, this plagues like every area. God, God provided for me. Like I needed something and I prayed and God actually provided the means for me to go on. Or you just went and found a means to get some more money and pay for it. We have two different ways to look at the world around us. Church, do you understand where we're going this morning? But here, here's where we're going. We're going to be in a text this morning that brings us to a really close encounter with God. And it's going to, in particular, not be with Abraham. It's going to be with Sarah, this barren woman, this infertile woman. And as followers of Jesus, we need to understand that cynicism can single-handedly rob us of our God-given hope and happiness Cynicism can take God's generous, benevolent hands that are saying, this is yours, my child, and slap them and say, no thanks. I don't believe that. I don't have the faith for that. This rears its ugly head everywhere. And listen, God's plan for our lives is to bless us with life and joy and to do so abundantly. It's for us to have, as Christians, belief in the extraordinary do you understand what I like? Belief in the, in the supernatural, belief in the miraculous. He wants us to lead lives of childlike faith and trust. Where we trust him at his word, we take him at his word. We believe deep in our hearts, God's not a liar. He's not gonna mislead me. What he said is going to come to pass. It, it's a faith that, can transform a household. It's the kind of faith culture that can change a church. It's the kind of culture of faith that can, frankly, change a community. And it's a faith that prays with expectation and kills cynicism. So I want to pray for us, and we're going to jump into Genesis 18. Would you join me? God, right now we are simply asking that you, by your spirit, by your power, by your grace, would honor your word, that you would use it to sow seeds in our hearts of change, transformation. God, these are your words. We humble ourselves, even with resistance, we humble ourselves before the scriptures today. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Bring illumination. Speak to us. Minister to us for our good and your glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Genesis 18, verse one. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. This is Abraham. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And just, church, look at the way that that hospitality just comes overflowing from him. Verse five, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah. Said, quick, three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And he ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and he set it before them and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Here's shade. Let's get water so you can wash your feet. Let's pull out all the stops. Kind of reminds me of um, the story of the prodigal son. When the son comes home and the dad's like, let's throw a party, get the fattened calf. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's, that's the kind of hospitality that's shown here. Now, in my Bible, which is the, the English standard version, um, in verse three, when it says, oh Lord, if, you, if I have found favor in your sight, um, it, it, it's capital L-O-R-D. That's not the original Hebrew there. It's just lowercase, L-O-R-D. So a lot of commentators will read this passage and say, Abraham knew right away this is a theophany. This is a, an appearance in the form of a person of God himself. So naturally, that's why he goes out. That's why he bows down. That's why he offers all the things that he offers to them. Here's the thing, though. That's not what the text says. And this was Middle Eastern culture 101. Imagine how many guests Abraham and Sarah have. Like, none. When somebody comes and is, is finding their way and sojourning and they, they come into your midst, in those times, like, you pull out all the stops. A guest is to be greeted with all the fullness of hospitality. Um, and so, would you entertain with me for a moment that Abraham maybe didn't realize at first that these three men were you know, God and a couple of angels, let's say. And keep reading. Verse nine, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord, that is capital L-O-R-D, said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Okay, put yourself in this scene. You're just being hospitable to some guests. They're eating underneath the tree all of the goods that you've just prepared for them and one of them looks at you out of nowhere and says, I'm gonna be back here about a year from now and your bride will have a son. Goosies, that's what we say. (laughs) Full body, goosies. This is the Lord speaking This is God right in front of him issuing a promise. It's been some time since the promise was last made. Some nine or 10 years have passed and 
I just want to do something that I feel like I'm always doing as we're preaching through Genesis. I want to remind us that these are real people. These are human beings, just like us. Not only that, these are real things that happened. This is a real story with real characters, real emotions. And God does something so bizarre, he doesn't want to really address Abraham, although he's talking to him. Sarah's removed, as was common in that day. You know, the women are in another room while the men are, are eating and, you know, enjoying fellowship. And he says, his concern is with her. Where's your wife? He crosses this, this gender barrier. He esteems her and he makes this promise. And where I want us to hone in is Sarah's response. Okay, if you hear this from God, what's your response gonna be? Continue with me. Second half of verse 10. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord, that's Abraham, is old, shall I have pleasure? I'm gonna stop right here. We need to name the obvious. God made a promise. Sarah laughed. Sarah chuckled. You could say Sarah, in some sense, mocked. She's thinking these thoughts to herself, and you need to know when she says, shall I have pleasure, that ain't the the joy and the delight of having a child. She's talking about intimacy with her husband. That's sexual pleasure. Now, the reason I tell you that is because it matters for this. Again, put yourself in their shoes. Abraham and Sarah have been doing their thing for years after this huge promise was made to her. Can you imagine over time if, as a woman, your societal contribution is your childbearing ability, how she must feel? Not only that, can you imagine, not that Abraham was probably with her every day coaching her, honey, Stay faithful. God's going to come through. He's going to be true to his promise. Abraham's probably tired too, y'all. He's probably thinking, like, pitying her, disappointed in the situation. And here comes God with a promise. And listen, what is Sarah? Sarah is cynical. She's cynical. Cynicism says... It asks this question. It's kind of a rhetorical question. What good has actually happened in in my life? Cynicism asks the question, what good is actually happening in my life right now? Like, what's actually good that's happening in my life right now? And and then it continues to ask the question, what good is going to come? What good is going to happen in my life going forward? I can only imagine some of us are asking those questions right now. Cynicism is marked more by grumbling and complaining than it is rejoicing and thanksgiving. Cynicism and skepticism are marked more by continuing to put skeptical questions as a barrier between us and our closeness and our intimacy with God. Cynicism is constantly questioning and doubting over and over and over again. And and here's what I think is happening. I I think it's a defense mechanism. I think a lot of us are cynical people, even though we come in here this morning with a Sunday smile, we're sitting in our chair, people are asking, how you doing? We're doing good. No, you're not. God sees right through that. 
you're afraid of disappointment. You have this barrier between you and God that says, I'm not going to take risky faith by trusting in you for my good because what if you're not faithful, God? What if it turns out I can't trust you for what I want to trust you for? What if you can't actually change me and my heart? God, I've lived life and I have had the ability to place my trust in a lot of things and particularly a lot of people. And who among us in this room can say, I've been let down? Like things have not panned out the way that I thought they would. I, I watched the show and marriage looks great. And then I got married. It's hard. This is a sinful person. I'm, I'm sinful. I'm selfish. This is a journey. Man, do I want to have kids. Then you have them. I ain't sleeping. They just threw up again. There's poop on the downstairs carpet. A new job. A new house in a new neighborhood. New friendships. A new church. God, I've put my trust in a lot of things and we've all been let down. Here's the truth about life. Unmet expectations abound in life. And so it's going to be natural for us in our nature where sin is present to mistrust God, to become jaded, to become scarred, to in some sense as a Christian become despondent. I am here to tell you this morning that I, I don't care about your personality profile, your Myers-Briggs, your Enneagram, your Strengths Finders. Like, you know, if you're that kind of person that you can kind of find the flaw in everything, right? Like you, you can, it's easy for you to criticize and say, I would do better. By the way, chief of sinners, um, like <laughs> that is a tool that the evil one is working overtime to use in your life to rob you of faith in God's promises. I'm trying to make you aware th this morning that it's meant to keep you from hope, like our cynicism and our skepticism is nothing more than a respectable and culturally accepted form of the sin of unbelief, church. It's unbelief. I'm too smart to believe God for that. I'm too intellectual. <laughs> I've learned too much. I'm too knowledgeable. I don't have childlike faith. I'm an adult now. I'm serious. This is where we drift. And God comes to us and says, this is grieving my heart. Look at all that I've done for you. Listen and hear all the things I want to do for you in your life. And you're a cynic. You have a sense of superiority. You know better than I do. You are walking day by day, maybe not on your sleeve for everyone to notice, maybe so, but deep within you there is a critical spirit. There's, a, there's an attitude that's prideful. And you know what happens in that? There's no ability to enjoy, like really enjoy anything. Like your limitations on what you can enjoy in life are so small. Because you, you, you get to a place where you go, if I were to enjoy this even more, 
I would be indulging a little bit too much in God's goodness and I'm just waiting for the next thing to happen to cut that out from under its legs and and to be discouraged yet again. Always criticizing things, assuming the worst rather than believing the best. If this is how we're evaluating things in our life of faith, church, it's no wonder that we are crippled by unbelief. Now, I want to focus in on God's response because I think it offers us so much help. Look how God responds to Sarah's laugh. Verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, remember, she's inside the tent. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That word hard, difficult, right? We understand. Again, that's not the word in Hebrew. Do you want to know, church, what the word is in Hebrew? Do you want to know what God's actually asking Abraham in that moment? He hears Sarah's laugh and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for me to accomplish and what this introduces to us is something that we as American Christians forget real quick and it's this the wonder of our faith the imagination the expectation and anticipation of our faith I went to the zoo last Monday with my wife and girls and like go to the zoo with kids and watch them I'm pushing the stroller, and I guarantee, I can't tell you exactly what was going on in my head at the time, I guarantee I'm thinking about other stuff. You know, like I'm, what's coming up in the calendar, stuff about the church, I'm thinking about a phone call I got to make later in the day, I'm thinking about stuff that's coming up this week with counseling people, I'm, I'm praying, like, my daughters are there, and they are unendingly thrilled. They're pointing at stuff. They're yelling the name. They're running around. There is just so much excitement and eagerness. There is wonder in them. Do you know that God bought you with a price to bring you into a life of wonder? Your life is not supposed to be boring, Christian. Like the things that are happening here, the thing, God's saying amen. The things that are happening here, the things that are happening in your heart are supposed to be exciting, right? Now what I'm not doing is I'm not shaming you for not being a really enthusiastic person, okay? What I am doing is I'm pressing into the, the inner being that each one of us has, that inner spirit, the inner soul. And if we are not a child before our Father in heaven, if we're not taking him at his word and excited that he would be good to us, if we're not trusting him and just believing by faith at every turn, he's for me, S- something's off. And church, let me just remind us of some things. Our spiritual debt is forgiven Because we believe. (laughs) All of our suffering, every ounce of it, has meaning and purpose in our life because we believe. You understand what? Like, (laughs) our future, our future is secure. Wrapped up for us is God's inheritance for us, and He's holding us fast in His hand because we believe. We our our spiritual foe, our enemy. The world, the flesh, the devil. It cannot have victory for those who are united to Jesus because we believe. Our lives are totally different. We don't have to give in to the the temptation. Whatever attitude it might be 
whatever despair it might be. We are in Jesus. We're a new creation in him. We're not who we once were because we believe. We are a faith-filled people by definition. This is what it is to be a Christian. This isn't just the thing that brings you into your identity in Christ and spares you from hell. Okay, This is the thing that makes your life right now till you go to heaven the most wonder-filled thing that any human being could possibly desire. So satisfying, so filling. Every longing in our heart met by the person and work of Jesus. Why? Because we believe. We have to believe. We are God's beloved, deeply and eternally loved by God because we believe. This is your reality and mine. And I want to let you know, you and I, at our very best, on our best day, with the best attitude, and we had the best sleep the night before, and we've had the best exercise and diet, and we're feeling great, we, we cannot accomplish life at our very best. We need divine strength. We need faith in something that goes far beyond us. Um, I, I think of, of Jesus two scenes in, in the Gospels. One scene is where Jesus goes to his hometown and, and he is met by unbelief. And one of the things that Jesus ties in for us through scripture is the link undeniable between our faith and his work. He is so thrown back, he marvels at their unbelief that he cannot perform any signs, miracles, or wonders amongst them. You get that. I think of another story in Mark chapter 9. There's a man who has a demonized son and he comes and he pleads with Jesus, if you would have compassion and if you would help us. And Jesus says, if I can, all things are possible. Same God is the one who's speaking when he says, is anything too wonderful for God? Same God. The man says, I believe. Many of you in this room would say, I believe. You believe. But what does he say next? Help my unbelief. See, it's possible. It's not just this black and white. It's possible to have faith and to not believe. Uh, the difference between unbelief and faithlessness is that one lacks faith. The other one, the, the presence of unbelief is there. Like this, this spirit of unbelief. This yoke and enslaving burden of unbelief is present in our lives right now. And God wants to cast that out. He wants to dispel that. And I just look at the what God says next to Sarah. She's, he makes the promise. She laughs. He asks the question, is anything too wonderful for me? And then look with me at verse 14. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. And then this may be one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Pay attention. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. <laughs> Amazing. M mixed into that humor right there is God inviting her to be honest. He's saying, if you have unbelief, you don't have to hide it. 
you, you actually, before him, you can admit it. He's inviting her into counsel. He's, he's teaching and training her in the moment. And he's saying, no, 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 don't, 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 don't try to deny that. You did laugh. You did scoff. You did chuckle at my promise. And then what does he do? He repeats the promise. He just says it again. So sweet, so gentle in his response. And church, I just, maybe it would help us this morning if, if we could do this. If we could just picture right now, try to follow me in this, our biggest fears, the, the anxieties, like right now in your life. I'm inviting you to just enter into that pain, the conflict, um, whatever it might be, okay? We're all people here. You are free to be weak here. You can entertain these things and like let them just seep up in you for a moment. Enter into that for a moment. Imagine God reaffirming all of his promises to you as his child. And be honest with the part of you that wants to go, <laughs> yeah, I know. People at church have told me that. <laughs> yeah, my city group has told me that and reminded me of that. Yeah, God, I've heard this since I was a kid. I've read the verse before. And God Almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, after you do that, he says, I am working all things together for the good of those who love me. Imagine God saying to you, you are a masterpiece that I've created and there is work in advance for you to do that I've prepared. <laughs> yeah, I know. You are a masterpiece that I have created and there is work in advance that I have prepared for you to do. Come to me all who are broken and weary and I will give you rest. I know. I read the book. Child, I'm your father. This is no joke. Come to me. You're weary. You're burdened. I will give you rest. Do you believe? Do you trust? Will you have faith? What a picture of God's grace. What a picture of his heart for people who are struggling. God, I believe, help my unbelief. What if our response was, God, I believe, help my unbelief. What if our response was con continue to ask the rhetorical question, is anything too wonderful for God? As his child, no. You belong to him. You're precious in his sight. He's invested in you. He wants good for you. In Genesis chapter 21, just a few chapters later, I love this. The very first verse says, the Lord visited Sarah as he has said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. You know what that means in the Hebrew? Son of laughter. It's amazing. They name their child laughter. 
You go down to verse 6, Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Church, God will do what he has said. God will be faithful to do to us what he has promised. Uh, What does this teach us as God's children? First, God is so good. God is so gracious. God is so wonderful toward us. We can laugh about it. God is mindful of me. He cares about me and my family, me. God has a desire for personal relationship with me, one of eight billion. God wants to actually change my mind, change my heart. God wants to give me eternity. God wants to restore me to be his friend. Me, Glenn. The the difference, and I I think it's, uh, who was it? Tim Keller, pastor, author Tim Keller. said the difference between uh, a religious person and a Christian, a born-again Christian, as you ask them about their faith, and the religious person says, well, I've always gone to church. I've, I've just been involved in church my whole life. Um, I read my Bible. I, you know, I pray. You fill in the blank. The, the, the born-again Christian says, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about God. He has thought of me. He's ministered to me. He's rescued me. He's saved me from the penalty of sin. He's removed me from his wrath He's given me new life. He's made me a new creation. He's made his dwelling place in my heart. God is with me and within me. Hallelujah. So that's number one. Number two is we do have a temptation, and we can all admit it, to give one another in the middle of trial good advice instead of good news or as as good-intentioned people to jump in and fix something rather than to pray. And Here's what the old St. Andrew Murray says, and it's not up on the screen, so you just have to, to hear this. Beware in your prayers above everything else of limiting God. Not only by unbelief, but by fancying that you know what he can do. Expect unexpected things. It's like Paul writes in Ephesians. Immeasurably more than we ask or think or imagine to the glory of Jesus Andrew Murray says, each time before you intercede, be quiet first and worship God in his glory. Think of what he can do and how he delights to hear the prayers of his redeemed people. And then think of this. Think of your place and your privilege in Christ and expect great things. I understand our cynicism, our skepticism of prosperity, health, wealth gospel okay i get that but could it be that we've swung the pendulum back so far from those errors to where we just don't pray and ask god for anything we're not asking and believing that he can heal our marriage we're not asking and believing that he can mend that relationship we're not asking and believing that he can give me the power to forgive like really forgive and pardon that person deep in my soul we're not believing that he's going to provide church Would it be different for us? Would we be a people who are not cynics, but faith-filled? This is God's call and his gift on our lives. We're gonna partake in communion this morning. So I wanna invite people who are gonna be serving at the tables to go ahead and go to your stations. And here's the thing. Communion gives us the greatest reason to not be cynical. Communion right now, City Light Bennington, is a chance for us together to look at 
the cross of Jesus Christ. To see a God who became flesh, who lived the life that we were supposed to live, who sacrificed himself in death to bear the death that we carry to set us free. And then, what did we celebrate last week? I did some research. The grave is still empty, church. Jesus is still alive. He's ruling and he's reigning and he's interceding and he's praying for us now. And communion is a time to remember. I'm gonna nail my cynicism and my skepticism to the cross. It's the sin of unbelief. I'm going to nail my unbelief to the cross with Jesus Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I give good news this morning. Because of the body that's been shed and the blood that's been poured out for us, where our unbelief abounds, God's grace abounds even more. How gracious, how loving. I want to read from Matthew chapter 26 as we prepare for this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. If you happen to be in the room this morning and you are not yet a Christian, you've never bowed your knee to Jesus, you've never sought forgiveness from him for sin, you've never trusted that he is a better leader of your life than you are. You've never believed in his sacrifice on the cross to atone for your debt. Communion is not for you to partake in, but it can be. My appeal to you, to the person who's, who's not yet placed their faith in Jesus, is that you are likely cynical and skeptical because life has thrown many things in your face that have proven to not be trustworthy. You carry guilt, you carry shame, you carry baggage. And there's something deep within you that's saying, I cannot hope in anything in particular. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you can hope in something. You can hope in someone. You can actually find hope. In fact, hope is the very reason that you are here today. Why would you come here if there wasn't something deep down in you that has hope for more? Jesus is that more. Jesus is life itself. He is everything. He wants friendship and relationship with you. If you repent of sin, you turn from a life of sin to a life that's toward and fixed on Jesus. You ask him to forgive, he will delight to do it. And he will enter into your life. He will make your heart his dwelling place. And he will breathe new life and creation into you. And he'll become Lord of your life. And he's trustworthy, he's good, he's generous. For those of you who are Christians in the room, please do not let another communion pass by 
where you just go through the motions. Please, take this bread and this cup and worship. Surrender. Praise Jesus. He is worthy. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We're asking you right now to have your way among us. And Jesus, we are a thankful people. We worship you now as we take this bread and cup and we remember your sacrifice for us. It's in your precious name that we pray. We make ourselves available to you. Amen.